Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Michael Ostro, who is an Alexander Technique teacher who uh, <clears throat> teaches in the Union Square area of New York City and also in North Bergen, New Jersey. He's been teaching for over 20 years and ha works with a wide variety of clients, including performing artists, athletes, people with chronic pain. He also has a, a long-time interest in philosophy and mind-body disciplines. He studied Zen Buddhism for a while. And um, one of the things I believe about the Alexander Technique, which we're going to talk about in a moment, is that it, for him it's a form of applied philosophy or even Western Zen, as it were. So, uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Hi, Robert. Thank Mike, you. Michael, um, could you begin by just giving our listeners a short description of the Alexander Technique? Yes. So I just want to preface it by saying that we're going to be talking about both Zen and the Alexander Technique, both of which are very difficult to pin down, very elusive. So I'll just give a, a quick definition, but it's just provisional. So I would say that the Alexander Technique is a way to help free oneself from habitual ways of reacting and behaving and thinking that we don't always notice. And these happen at every level of our, of our being, from physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. So it's a very open-ended way of freeing ourselves from the grip of all kinds of unthought-about assumptions. Mm -hmm. And just listening to that, I can imagine that there are some parallels to Zen Buddhism. Right. Zen, and, uh, again, one could say many things, but in part, it's a way to help people to experience reality directly. Reality as it's happening at the moment, which is always unknowable and kind of ungraspable. So Zen's approach is to try to find ways to become more attentive and alert what's happening rather than all the ideas and concepts we all develop about what's happening. Mm -hmm. and and course, yeah, and that sounds pretty similar to the Alexander technique. Right, and that's why they seem to fit so well together. Yeah. Um, because Zen is very difficult for Westerners often to really get a, a handle on, and that's what I found in my own experience. And that's gradually what led me to study the Alexander technique. Mm-hmm. But well, it, in, yeah, yeah. Go, well, it's interesting. I mean, the Alexander technique owes its uh, origins to a guy named uh, F. Matthias Alexander, and it came out of very practical voice issue that he had to confront. Um, I don't know from from what I've read of Alexander's life. I imagine that if someone told him that his technique was, was, uh, could be seen as a kind of Western Zen, I, I imagine he would have been a bit bemused by that, don't you think? Yes, de definitely. In fact, he definitely, what he had heard about uh, Eastern methods like yoga, he didn't like. That's right. Although he didn't. What he had heard was always, he, he focused what he didn't like about yoga, for example, is what he thought of was the attempt to control directly 
all the processes in the body, heartbeat, and, and that really isn't the point of yoga. So I don't think he may have had that accurate a sense. But I think if he understood what Zen was about, I'm sure he would um, see that there wasn't any, any problem. Um, so then I, I also don't want to say that the two are identical. There's, uh, you know, I don't know, there, there's similarities, but mm -hmm. I don't want to say what they are is always hard to say. Mm -hmm. but, so for someone listening yeah. to this who is, is uh, interested in Zen, perhaps uh, practicing Zen, doing Zen sitting, I guess it's called, right? Right. Um, what, what might be uh, a reason for them to consider uh, exploring the Alexander technique? Well, I'll talk about um, my experience first because that's sort of what brought me to it. Um, a big part of, it, of Zen practice is sitting meditation, which is you sit in what they would call a good posture, because if your posture in the very broadest sense is good, your mind is alert and relaxed and balanced and attentive. So it's that quiet quality allows more attunement to what might, one might call reality rather than all our ideas about it. Um, now, when I studied Zen, a lot of the people who sat ended up injuring themselves. They got knee problems, sciatic problems, and many other kinds of difficulties. And I had a back problem. I didn't have an official injury, but I just found it very uncomfortable to sit. And when I tried to watch my breath, I just got tied up in knots. And in Zen, they put up a lot of importance to the body. They, they call it the sitting as a yogic practice, basically assuming a posture. And um, it's very important to be able to do that and to, to be able to learn from it. So I got the impression from sitting for you know, some time that a lot of Westerners are just so out of touch with their bodies and so stiff that they're not really fully benefiting from this practice. And um, so when I, I, uh, when I was sitting at, one, at a monastery, I, I met someone who was an Alexander teacher, and uh, she sort of uh, surreptitiously looked at me and said, everyone's trying to corner her to have them help with their uh, sitting. And I had never heard about it, and that just put the idea in my head that um, it, there might be some benefit. So at any rate, I eventually um, found an Alexander teacher, and I thought I would take about five or six lessons and brush up my sitting, and I got more and more involved and got to see that the technique was actually a very effective way to um, learn to tune into yourself in just the kind of way that um, they talked about in Zen. And it, it also gradually made me think that in the West we really don't have an appreciation of this whole realm of sort of subtle energy and, and, and attentiveness to ourselves in this way, the very direct way, not a conceptual way, a nonverbal tuning in. And most culture, the East has, has uh, of course, they have Tai Chi and yoga and Chinese medicine. They all have some notion of a realm of, of energy and that where people can notice these subtle qualities of change, where in the West we have a more crude way of thinking about ourselves. It's more conceptual. So, again, the technique helps awaken that in a way that I think just sitting practice for many Westerners doesn't. It's very hard for people to get out of their heads and start beginning to really notice what's happening directly. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, when you mentioned uh, Tai Chi and yoga also, of course, Eastern disciplines, and the issues, uh, it makes me think of the issues uh, 
involved when bringing them to the West, mm -hmm. that often uh, their systems that emerged in a culture where, first of all, there may have been uh, th that attention to the subtle, subtle directions or energies that you refer to, that there was kind of an assumption that people who practice those disciplines would have that awareness. Right. A and also, um, say for yoga in particular, it seems to me there was an assumption that people had a level of flexibility, of physical flexibility, right. that right. simply uh, does not exist in the West in general. I mean, you go to India and people are hanging out on in a deep squat feet That's flat right. on the yep. ground, moving That's around, right. shifting shifting right. orientation, and it's uh, totally second nature to them, whereas most most of us Westerners, unless we're very small children, um, may find that a bit of a challenge simp simply because we're so used to sitting on chairs and slouching on couches yeah, exactly. and so on. So would you, would you then say that one way of looking at what our the Alexander Technique could bring to someone who was uh, studying Zen is it, it kind of, it's a bit of a makeup for what, as a Westerner, probably they don't have as well right. developed as the natural, say, clientele of Zen Buddhism. Right. Does that yeah, make it's, sense? It's, yeah, yeah, it's a kind of remedial work. Mm -hmm. And I think even for, uh, you know, when I tried to do Tai Chi or yoga before I studied the technique, I, I would just hurt myself. So I, I just came to feel that uh, there's a preliminary. And what the technique really has to do with is not any specific movement. It has to do with what you do before you do anything else, how you organize yourself to do something or even nothing, just sitting. But it, mm -hmm. there's this constant process of reactivity that people are normally not able to monitor, which is, you know, what we could call this realm of energy or whatever. I mean, energy is just a, a, a buzzword, but there's something, some, some ability to tune into this process that we in Alexander call directing. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's, that's what it, uh, the technique offers. And without that, without that ability to catch yourself before you started reacting, you just continue to do more of the same. Mm-hmm. I'd like to turn for a moment to the word posture. Um, mm -hmm. I know in Zen Buddhism there's there is an idea of a sitting posture, right? Right. And I assume that that term is used. Uh, yes. Sitting posture. Now I wonder if the people the people who developed and practiced Zen in the East, if their concept of posture is fundamentally different from what most Westerners have. Um, I think right. in the West, the word posture has become uh, a noun. Right. Uh, whereas earlier on, and certainly from a language point of view, posture uh, can, can mean verb, can be a verb as well. Right. Now, today in the West, uh, posture used as a verb has has sort of negative connotations right, right. but I, but i don't believe that was always the case right and no, they, they definitely had a different uh, notion I, I read one book a long time ago called hara h-a-r-a which is the japanese notion of this area below the navel where sort of the power of the of your being lies and mm -hmm. uh, they according to this um author 
uh, this was around world, before World War II, the Japanese have the ability to sit quietly and sort of contemplatively and just enjoy sitting and being with themselves. And it has to do with kind of lowering the center of their gra gravity in a sense to get not, it literally means get out of, out of your head. Mm -hmm. So, so they have a, they have an idea that posture is not just a. They, they may not say a, a verb, but they would say uh, they they don't have the idea of a static pose. They have an idea of a kind of dynamic that you're. I would I like the word tuning into. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so they definitely have a completely different notion. They do have certain guidelines, like they will say things like very rough guidelines from our point of view, Alexander teachers. But they would say something like the neck should be back and the spine should be straight and such things. But when they're saying that, that's really uh, within the context of looking for something very alive and not static. And that's assumed with them. They, it's, not, it's part of their culture. And so, again, when you try to transport a living tradition to another tradition who doesn't have any of the same um, concepts and presuppositions, it's much more difficult. So when they say sit with a straight spine, they might you know, have a very alive idea, whereas a Western person would just stiffen up and get very uncomfortable and eventually injure themselves. Mm -hmm. So definitely that's an issue. And from, from what you've seen of Zen sitting practices as taught in the West, do you think that the people who are teaching them perhaps don't always realize that the people they're teaching don't have that same concept of posture? Yeah, I do think that's so. Um, I get the impression, I've noticed in general, some people are more naturals than others. There are some people who do yoga or tai chi or, or sitting that somewhat do pretty well with it. And some of those people probably do well, and they don't understand what's the matter with everyone else who's not doing so well with them, getting all stiff and messed up. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, that's the, I do think that's the case, that... Um, they, they may not always understand. It can be the classic problem with a teacher saying, do it, do this, do it, and, and not knowing how to communicate it um, in detail. Mm -hmm. And again, that was Alexander's genius. He's, somewhere in one of his books, he said that this whole book is dedicated to the, uh, pointing out the difficulty of conveying nonverbal concepts verbally, that you cannot tell someone to do X without contending with their whole way of reacting to your instruction. So um, that, that's the thing that, that Zen uh, has not dealt with. And uh, the, the Eastern way is always do this practice, do it to 10 years, just do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a certain point where you have to say it's not working. Uh, and it may have worked for them, but for a lot of Westerners at least, they don't think it does work you know, that well. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I've over the years had a few students who were Zen practitioners and they've come and brought their, their cushions with them to sit on so we could explore that. And uh, what, I, what I found is that, um, well, pretty much what you said, that uh, immediately they sat down, um, they start, they, they stiffened themselves. Right. And, and, well, set themselves maybe is a better right. phrase. Right. And, um, you know, they would tell me, you know, after, after, 15, 20 minutes of sitting, I'm starting to feel some shoulder pain or neck pain or low back pain, right. whatever. And uh, observing them, it, it's hard to imagine they wouldn't, uh, given right. the way they're sitting. And I have found that 
people who've studied Zen a lot, who, who do come for lessons, pick up on the Alexander ideas pretty quickly. Right, because it, it's, it's a very good context for thinking about them. It's, it just it gives more practical reality, which mm-hmm. is the great thing about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think basically anything that, that really works and has some truth to it should be compatible um, with, each, with each other. Right. And it's interesting, too, you know, I just want to uh, go off to one little uh, area before uh, we stop, that um, one of the big um, issues in, in Zen is the illusion of our sense of self, that people have this sense that they exist as a kind of isolated kind of entity that surveys the scene as always apart from their experience. And a, a lot of Zen is about unmasking that idea. And... Um, Alexander, I think, is particularly suited to that. As you advance in the technique and get more subtle, in many ways what you're doing is just developing this kind of unified field of attention that's free of concepts where you're just observing and uh, noticing. And that is very much what um, sitting is supposed to cultivate. Um, so you, you, you're, you're, fundamental, you're just fundamentally alert without preconceptions or ideas. And it's very difficult to teach that. And, and I think you know, Alexander really did find an actual pra- practical and concrete way to gradually bring people to a, a much deeper level and to really investigate all these, these narrowing concepts that keep us stuck. And um, that's what I really appreciate about uh, what, what he discovered. I mean, I just am still amazed at what he did with no teachers to help him. Right, and and just for our listeners who may not be familiar with how the Alexander technique is taught, uh, basically Alexander fairly quickly came to realize that he couldn't usually convey what he wanted to a student just by talking to them. He needed to actually use his hands to, to give them a, a kind of a gentle guidance to show them what he meant because people would take his words, uh, run them through the mixer of their preconceptions and often do something quite different from what he had in mind. Exactly. So that's why Alexander, t- to this day, Alexander teachers will will supplement their verbal instructions with, with hands-on guidance. And I think particularly for, I would imagine, I'm not a Zen practitioner myself, but I would imagine for someone who is doing Zen sitting, uh, that would be an ideal way to basically learn how to sit more easily. Yeah, definitely. And for longer periods of time to support longer periods of, of meditation. Yeah, So maybe this is a good place to end unless there's something you wanted to, we haven't covered that you well, I mean, there's a, there's a huge amount to cover, but I guess this gives a sense in sort of a practical way of uh, some ways that the Alexander Technique could help Zen practitioners. And, it really, and vice versa, I mean, I think Zen has a very deep perspective on, on uh, life that can also inform um, uh, students of the, the technique as well. Absolutely, I, it, yeah. For me, it, they, they've, they've worked uh, very well together. Um, I mean, I'm not practicing Zen right now, but it, it does inform my way of thinking about the Alexander Technique. 
Right, right. Well, maybe we'll end on that okay, note. that sounds good. And um, if anything that we have uh, talked about intrigues you and you live in the New York City area or northern New Jersey, um, contact Michael. And we'll put a link. We'll put a link to his website by the interview. And if you live anywhere else in the world, uh, we'll also put a link to a site that will enable you to find an Alexander Technique teacher anywhere in the world. Um, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks, Robert.